0: Welcome to this week's episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together, the podcast for entrepreneurs interested in fast growth and funding, powered by EHE Capital. So for this week's episode because we caught Guy when he was in Ibiza last week and he's not there he's back now but uh, you know he's having a week off isn't he catching up so today we've, we've, we've got Gary talking to us about why entrepreneurs are like Olympians a very relevant topic given the Olympics taking place as we record this so I'm really intrigued by this Gary looking forward to hearing some crossover. How are you doing you all right?
1: Yeah fantastic I'm um... I'm really in inspired and enjoying the Olympics, the yeah, 2020 yeah. Olympics that is in
0: 2021. Yeah. <laughs> and team, team GB setting some records as well. It's good to see.
1: They are. I think uh, my favourite moment so far in the Olympics has been Alex year. I'm quite focused on the triathlon, I suppose, but he's such a young lad. He's sort of 23. He got the silver medal in the triathlon and you know, the Brownlee brothers have been dominating that for years, and he replaced Alistair in the team, probably wasn't expecting to get a medal, but uh, wow, well, he did, he beat uh, the other Brownlee, and I just loved his quote, and when he was interviewed afterwards, he just says, I'm just an ordinary guy, how did I do this? <laughs> and I thought that, you know, that's that's so true, and I when I talk to successful entrepreneurs, you know, they're quite similar, they're just ordinary people who've worked hard and found something they're they're good at, so I think it was a connection that just instantly went into my head. So I think it's worth just talking a little bit about that really.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Really a uh, good inspiration for the show. Where would you start then? With drawing but what what kind of at first struck you about the likeness between the way that his mindset his mind works and that of an entrepreneur? Well, I think it
1: I just, you know, I'm a pretty simple simple guy. You sort of break it down and you go, well, you've got to find something you enjoy. And I think you know, Olympians and athletes, they're like that. They do enjoy whatever sport they find. You know, it's no good a basket size of a basketball player being a gymnast. You know, you've got to get some focus. Uh, and I've seen some people not quite get that right. because You've got to have a body type or, or certain uh, characteristics that link to a sport. But once you've done that and you enjoy it, enjoying it and being really good at it tend to go hand in hand. And I think that's exactly the same as business you know, you've got to enjoy what it is the business is focused on. And then almost a, a given is you've got to work damn hard at it. key, you know, entrepreneurs and athletes and Olympians work almost every day, you know, hours every day. So there's massive parallels there, really. And they don't tend to move around, you know, once an athlete is a swimmer, they're always a swimmer, they don't suddenly go and do BMX. <laughs> Generally, they stay with whatever they've got. And I think there's parallels in, in in business areas, and you should stick to what you're good at and focus on that. And I think that's a really big one for entrepreneurs. Don't get distracted with shiny pennies and new things. I think the other bit is surrounding yourself with a great team.
0: Yeah.
1: As you grow as an entrepreneur, you start off doing everything. You know, I, I think most entrepreneurs do, but as you grow. Some entrepreneurs try and keep hold of doing everything a bit control freaky, but it's really painful. It will slow your growth and ultimately you're unlikely to be successful. And obviously Olympians surround themselves with brilliant teams, don't they? Particularly, you know, when they become successful, they have technicians, they look at fitness people, mental, diet, doctors, masses, you know, that whole team that surrounds the athlete. And I think that's there's a big parallel with business. You know, you, you might be great at sales, but you don't really do operations. You don't do admin. You don't do finance and all the other bits. You need to focus on what you're good at. And I think there's a danger with entrepreneurs where they do do too much rather than stick to what they're particularly good at. And I'll pick up some research to back that up in a bit, really.
0: Yeah, what's interesting is the the, the example you're using of athletes, it's the same with the pop stars, musicians, isn't it? You know, you don't see Britney Spears, like, booking her own concerts and getting all selling all the tickets. And, you know, same with athletes. You would never expect an athlete to be the same person, to be doing all the running around and doing all their own coaching on themselves and all that kind of thing. So why do entrepreneurs expect that of themselves? It's it's a strange It
1: is strange. It is strange. And, And it's a mindset, actually. So am I going to be a brilliant entrepreneur, very successful, high-performing, and it's a decision? So if I am, therefore I've got to get all that back up that you just talked about. Got to get it because I can't, you know, my, my skill and my ability, you know, however good we think we are, is pretty narrow. Yeah. You're normally good at one or two things. Yeah. yeah. And in, a, in a, an athlete's, it's swimming as fast as you can or riding a BMS bike. You know, it's just that narrow focus. And that whole team supports you in doing that, and that's what an entrepreneur needs to have the mindset if they're going to be successful for sure.
0: What do you think to the um, you know Simone Biles' decision to pull out close to her performance to prioritise self care?
1: Well, I think one, it's brilliant and understandable. The bit that I, I find a little bit strange is is how late it is. Yeah. My intuition says that she's probably raised the flag before. Arriving at the Olympics, you would think either she hasn't admitted it, she felt she couldn't admit it, or she has shared and somebody hasn't listened. Somewhere along the line, you would you would think that. And I think you know, there's another one that's just come out, which is a very high-profile cricket player. You know, Ben Stokes has done the same. He he said, I need a break, you know, and there's a huge amount of pressure on these athletes. And and entrepreneurs have the same, actually. You know, when a company is you might have 500 employees you might have 100 you might have a thousand but they're all relying on you
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> it can get pretty crazy at times and i think you know talking about high performance i always had a coach uh, a a business coach or strategic coach or whatever it is and i think i needed it yeah definitely yeah. you know just just to share the moments the pressure moments or or oh my god <laughs> You know, whatever it is, you just need that that balance and uh, there's huge parallels. I love that there's quite a bit of research on uh, sports people, tend, good sports people tend to be really good leaders. There's a lot of, a lot of link to that in education. Mm. Uh, my wife's a teacher and she talks about that quite a lot, that, you know, that, that the good sports people. Because there's, in life and business, there's quite a lot of parallels.
0: Yeah. I suppose as well, it's the the leadership mentality, but also the kind of the approach to burnout, isn't it? So you just mentioned about entrepreneurs, you know, especially in the early stages, doing everything themselves. But as you grow, you know, of course you'll get burnt out if you don't start to delegate properly.
1: And one of the biggest challenges for an entrepreneur is is money. So they don't have much money, but that's probably the hardest time they're working. So they do need that support early. and you've got to be brave to go, I'm going to employ someone for 20 30 40,000 a year when I only make 20 30 or 40,000 a year. You know, it's a brave move, but if you do, it'll get you to that success point so much quicker. but you do need some some bravery as well. And the final point, I think, well, not final, there's there's many, but I think self-belief and confidence is massive in both sides. The one that I'd like to share from an entrepreneur's point of view is to have the confidence to admit you're not good at things and that's something I've seen a lot of bravado and a lot of ego in entrepreneurs that don't admit what they're particularly good at but more importantly what they're not good at and I think if you can have the confidence to do that it's really powerful because you just let go of a whole load of things that you get stressed by doing really yeah and I particularly teach it to teenagers you know when it comes to (laughs) picking their subject you know we are Oh, you've got to be good at maths. You've got to be good at English. Now, I bloody hate English. I hate maths. I want to do art. Well, do art then, because that's what you're good at. That's what you're passionate about. Don't get stressed about English. And you see it in workplaces as well. Where, you know, finance for non-financial people, sales for non-sales people. Well, if you're not a salesperson, don't try and train yourself. And the boss that says, you know what? You're not very good at that. Go and practice that. No. No. <laughs> Just... Find what you're good at and practice that and get better at it, not yeah, let's let's be mediocre at, at everything. You know, it just doesn't work like that. So having that confidence to say, I'm just not good at these things, and find other people to do them, mm. happy, happy and more successful is, is that is the formula.
0: What do you um, say to um entrepreneurs? You know, as you pointed out, in the particularly in the first few few months or years, you might not have much money to you know, ideally, obviously, you'll delegate everything that you're not, you're not great at. But what do you do while you're still kind of in that climb?
1: You've got to be brave. Find them. Yeah. Find them and find a way of actually rewarding them, not money-wise. Mm. So my cl- classic trick was I'll pay you bugger all. So I'll pay you 15, $20,000. i will give you a massive bonus if you succeed. So it's performance-related. So as a company, I earn more, therefore they do. So that's one way. And also shares. Yeah. So, look, this company is going to be worth millions. Today it's worth a bugger all, but come on my journey and you'll also be worth millions. I think, you know, and there's a lot of faith there. And this is why entrepreneurs need to have that leadership and that courage and, and people believe and follow them. Because if you don't, they won't follow you, really. They go, no, I'll go down, that, down the road and get 50 grand a year, thanks, from that big company. But if they believe in you and they go, well, okay, I'll earn 20 grand, but I'll earn 60 because my performance will get me more. And if you're going to share some shares with me, I do believe in this company and it will be worth a lot and I'll stick with you. It's that sort of approach was my style, but um, I'm sure there's many other ways (laughs) of of getting there. But you've got to to get those people around you because you can't grow fast enough. You end up being the blocker. Yeah. And that's a that's a shocking place to be the blocker to your own growth, what you want. And a lot of entrepreneurs are.
0: Do they recognise it?
1: Do no, think? no. And that's where they need an outside coach that, that can gently or otherwise tell them. Because <laughs> you can't see it. You can't see it yourself. You know, everyone in the company is going, I can't get anything done because... Control freak wants to look at everything. He can't look at it, or she can't look at everything, but demands to, and therefore the growth instead of allowing people to flourish, just you know, squeezes in doesn't grow as fast as it needs to. So that's a that's a that's another point. And I think just to sort of give those who are listening a little bit of credibility, or myself a little bit of credibility, these aren't this is what I've learned, it's not um something I've come up with because. There's three areas of the research that I'd like to share just briefly, because you can go and get your own re- reference on it. But Strengths Finders one, isn't it, where all it talks about, which is you know, a massive organisation, Gallup, and the research has been well validated. And hundreds of thousands, if not millions, have used this around the world, which is focus on your strengths, not your weaknesses. And the simple equation is everyone has to work hard. So that's on one column. You can get zero to ten. On working hard, so if you get a 10 on hard, you're willing to work hard, that's great. But if your talent is five, you're only ever going to get to 50. And this comes back to the Olympian analogy if you really find something you're good at, you, you've got the makeup to do it, and you've got a great talent at 10 and you work hard, you get to 100 10 times 10. Happy days! But if you haven't got that talent and you're not particularly good at it, you'll only ever get to 50 if you work, you know, at the max. So that's one strength finder. The second one is one that I, I researched myself and found is a guy called Jay Niblick. With a, a, I think it's called Genius. And what he set out to do was to find out um, what made people successful. And it's a seven-year study. Thousands and thousands of people across continents with jobs, self-employed entrepreneurs, everybody. Mm-hmm. And his, his conclusion, I am simplifying this, but his conclusion was very simple, which was, Find, know yourself, find what you're good at, and then go and do a job of work in that. And that is such a simple sentence. But there's so many people who don't do it. You know, they just don't, they don't focus, they don't understand themselves, they don't know what they're good at, and they certainly don't do a job related to it. So all the successful people he found in any walk of life did that. So they recognised what they were good at, they understood themselves, and then go and do a job that actually focused in that area.
0: This is a really interesting point, especially in the context of of the Olympics and the athletes we see there and how they operate, because now we're talking about their teams, not just them. So what you're saying is it's not just the the athlete themselves that have found something they're exceptional at and they've capitalised on it, they've gone to work on it, but it's also every individual in the team around them is their own sort of expert in their own life. Yes. Mm. So
1: if you go back to your point about... Britney Spears booking her own, you know, transportation, which is a good one because you need a logistics expert that does all that for you, don't they? And logistics experts generally are PAs or or somebody like that. But you need that person. That's their unique ability, which I'll come on to in a minute. You know, that's what they're really good at. So that's what they do. And then your physio is a brilliant physio. Mm. That's their real specialism. They want to support, help, get people better, you know, and then the same with the, the psychologist. And you surround yourself with that great team. All brilliant at what they do. Yeah.
0: One of my cousins is actually a, um, she fences for Canada and she wasn't, she's not at Tokyo, but she was at Rio. And she's been doing this since she, she decided this is what she wanted to do when she she was a teenager. I mean, she was literally, you know, she she was fortunate enough to have the opportunity in school to yes. do some fencing, uh, um, was really good at it. And by the time it came to her GCSE, then she was stressed and upset because academia is not her thing. And uh, my aunt and uncle said, You know, what do you want to do? And she said, I just want to fence. And so they said, Fine, that's what you'll do. And so she was working on that, you know, and because a lot of the athletes there are quite young, aren't they? But this is the point yes. is you're saying, you've got yes. to figure that out. The sooner you can figure that out, the more time you have to to work on it and but um, you know
1: interestingly with that and i've got a little bit of experience myself is that you know she obviously it was massively successful to get to the olympics my goodness that's a that's an achievement in itself but what you'll probably find and i don't know the example is that she'll probably find something related to that in work yeah she might be a coach she might be a fitness related to something she's experienced in that journey she wants to keep involved so that's what she does. So it'll be interesting. What is she doing? What is she doing? <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. You know, because that's her passion. Yeah. That's her. what she really likes to do. She's really good at it. She's achieved and she can give back or whatever way she looks at it and have a career in that sphere, which I think is wonderful. She'll yeah. always be passionate and enjoy it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And as you say, you know, the, the people on the team surrounding her, that that was that was what they were passionate about and enjoyed as well. Really, really good example.
1: It is, it is. And just to finish off, you know, we, we've talked about unique ability before on EHE's podcast, but you know, that is exactly the same process as strength. Well, they use strength finder to get to it, but Jay Niblick, unique ability, you know, it's do find out what you're good at and spend 90% of your time in that, really. And you'll be happier and wealthier. And I think they're all the messages that have huge parallels to the Olympics.
0: Yeah, they are. Definitely. Can I just ask as well, Gary, you're um, I think you're quite you're very humble and modest about your your past achievements in business. But can you just tell us a bit about the teams that you had to put together and the kind of maybe the size of the team, but more like also the scope of the different types of activities they all had to do? Because it was pretty intense, wasn't it? Uh,
1: yes. Um, OK, <laughs> Don't particularly like talking about this, but um I suppose that the biggest company was we took it from you know humble beginnings to quite big, and that was painful in some respects. I, I got appointments wrong, um, but at, at the same time, the executive that got us from A to B couldn't get us to C and D, really. And I think so. Number one is I recognize quite quickly what I'm good at. I'm confident enough to go, I can't do that, that, and that, but I'm good at this. So I managed to get people who were better than me in those places, which was easy. <laughs> but they were like me culturally, I think was the key bit. And so there was a, you know, a development director and there's a great story of him arriving. So we had to build lots and I had not much idea about building. So I had to get somebody who knew what they were doing. I didn't want somebody from the building industry because it's very litigious and had a formula that I don't think works. Um, I'm not going to go into that because that'll be another 20 minutes. But uh, anyway, so I've got someone out of the motor industry, a charter engineer, and his famous story is, uh, Gary said, just put hot tubs on the balconies of all these cabins. And I just told him to get on with it and stop baffing about. You know, he's taken ages. And he he did a load test on all, all the cabins. And I think at the time we had about 60 and uh, 20 of them would have tipped over. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a there's a story about finding somebody who knows what they're doing (laughs) because the weight the weight in the hot tub with the water was so great i didn't realize it's like two tons and so when you put it on the balcony the whole thing would have collapsed anyway that i don't know why i'm sharing that but um (laughs) so yeah i got a development director finance was easy i've got you know i can read figures really quickly in fact in the business i knew stuff well before the finance director worked it out but I need someone to do the detail and keep us safe. So as a finance director, i got a PA, not particularly good at organising myself, so i got somebody to do the whole team. Who else was there? There's an operations director and a sales and marketing director. You know, all different elements because we did everything ourselves mm. so we could control the quality. We mm-hmm. subbed out cleaning these cabins at one stage, and it was so bad and couldn't control it, so we brought that in-house as well. So we did absolutely end-to-end from the customer, from making the phone call or the click online to... So when they left, we did everything, which controlled the quality. Yeah, so that team, I really enjoyed managing that team because, you know, I'm fairly decisive. So I'd listen to everybody, mm-hmm. you know, and I would make the decision at the end of the day and somebody in that group would not be happy yeah. because they all come at it from a different angle, you know, whether it's, oh, I'm worried about spending money from the finance to, crikey, I need more capital to make sure that the customer gets what they want and, and blah, blah, blah. But the decision making I I found quite easy. But I think probably the thing that people liked working for me is what they've said post success was freedom. Mm. So I never managed their input. If if they were dropping their daughter off at 10 o'clock in the morning to the nursery, I'd allow them to do that. It's not an issue. If they wanted to work in McDonald's or the office, that was also okay. I don't really care. It was the output I managed. So they were free to deliver their specialist. And I used to have meetings, one-to-one meetings with them. And all I'd ask really is, what do you need? What do you need really to make this better? Mm. Do you need you know, a coach yourself or are you struggling here? Or do you need? Do we need to employ somebody else? Or how do you? what do you need to get better and faster, quicker and blah, blah, blah. So mm. that was, I hope that sort of shares a bit of that story.
0: Uh, thank you. <laughs> 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 another podcast wasn't it? yeah why, why an entrepreneur should not be installing hot tubs yeah. <laughs>
1: but, yeah. yeah
0: but that's just it you know and that's a lot of different you you say like your team but actually within that it's sub teams isn't it and there's loads of different types of people you talk about the difference in opinions well there's bound to be and you kind of seem to you know you yes. thought that as a good thing and went with it
1: well interestingly on the hot tubs we was just step with that theory because you know when when we started i'll just try and link it quite quickly for for people is that when we started, there was no model that – this was a company called Forest Holidays. There was no model that said Forest Holidays was going to be successful. In fact, the opposite. We spent a lot of money with some one of the top four accountancy firms to say, is this – I knew it was going to work, but they had to do it for the banking reasons. And the bank said, right, we need to commission somebody to see whether this is going to work right. So they did the report. 60,000 quid later, they come up with this report goes, this absolutely will not work in the UK. Who, in their right mind, with Holiday – in the middle of a forest, when it's peeing down the rain in November, nobody will do it because the only model was centre park. Yeah. And what do they do? They cover everything in glass, don't they? So the only way we were going to, not only way, one of the ways we made it popular was to put a hot tub in. And at the time, believe it or not, hot tubs weren't around. They weren't in holiday accommodation. And that was our uh, edge. And, you know, you've heard the story <laughs> of the hot tubs, but, it actually, interesting. one of the teams, which is the operations director, one of the things I was really keen to was to get feedback from customers quick. And what we're we doing right, what we're we doing wrong. And we used to address the top three every, every week, really. What were the top three they weren't happy with? The biggest one kept coming back was that we couldn't turn the hot tub around fast enough. So by the time there's a checkout at 10, by the time you've dumped all the water, you couldn't heat it quick enough for four o'clock for a check-in. Mm-hmm. So what, what does the new customer do when they arrive at a, a, an interesting little product called a hot tub? All the kids, family, they dive into the hot tub. It's cold. <laughs> so we had to work with the manufacturer to re-engineer the speed the, the kilowatt, um, the heater would work at. We had to change. Mm. So instead of a two kilowatt heater, I can't remember, I'm not very technical, it might have been a four, we had to put an 18 or a 12. So we had to heat up quicker. So it heated up. We used to drop all the water as soon as they left and then heat it up really quick. And then bingo, happy days.
0: That's incredible. But yeah, but you wouldn't have seen that coming, would you? No, that, you'd never seen that. that get thing. them to change their products yeah. to fit the whole thing. Amazing. Because if
1: you're at home, which was a domestic product or a commercial product, it's not an issue, is it? Yeah. For us, it was a massive issue. <laughs> Well, you learn as you go, know, I suppose. <laughs> yes, yeah, you do, but you react. But if you don't ask the customer, you don't know, do you? That's yeah. what a lot of companies annoy me, you know, find out what they're not happy with. And it, we learned pretty quickly that that was the number one dissatisfier. Then they ranked as low on customer service scores because they were fed up straight away. They were yeah. looking for all the problems then. When we turned that, wow, we yeah. ended up with a, a, a score better than Apple My in God, terms of net promoter score, MPS. We were legendary. In fact, the mm-hmm. Pragma, which was a consultancy firm that came in when we, we sold the first time, they, they couldn't find anybody who'd been on a forest holiday that didn't love us, not like us, absolutely love you, they had to add a new category. That's how manic we were in the early days, how how the customer, it was a bit evangelical, really. They, they interviewed about 10,000 customers, couldn't find any that didn't like us or love us. Anyway, oh, I, I mean, could believe to death.
0: <laughs> it's not boring at all It's incredible result but you know i was just thinking back to the uh the, the olympic scene of the episode and you know, we talked about athletes taking some time out for themselves and it being so close to the event it kind of implies that they haven't been listened to before uh, maybe there's a couple of takeaways for the uh, for the, the sporting world from entrepreneurs yes wow.
1: definitely definitely yeah. brilliant. brilliant thank you georgia yeah.
0: thank you very much gary we'll uh, see you all next week Thank you for listening to this episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together. Visit the EHE Capital website, ehe.capital, for further insights and to join the EHE community.